Welcome to Crime and Reason on TalkZone, bringing you the backstory in high-profile crimes that television leaves out. Now, here are the hosts of Crime and Reason, John Kelly and Leo Badenhausen. Oh, good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Crime and Reason. Nice to have you here. I'm Leo Battenhausen. Yeah, hi, I'm John Kelly. Good evening. Great to have you. Good evening, indeed. John, we've been promising uh, New Jersey cases last week, and um, the one we have for you listeners tonight is the one that's really going to probably frustrate and anger you like maybe no, no, no other. And I don't know, John, why this wasn't more popularized or or covered in the news. This guy, and I call him the true Jersey devil, because nobody that I know of in New Jersey is more evil than this character. That's a good name for him. All right, he is the, you know, you want to talk about the Jersey devil, folks? This guy was indeed a devil and from Jersey. We're talking about Robert Zorinsky. Okay, Robert Zorinsky, he was born in 1940, and he lived in uh, Linden, New Jersey, um, most of his life. And he's uh, he was uh, arrested in 1975 for the, the killing of um, a Rosemary a Calandriello, who was a 17-year-old girl from the Atlantic Highlands you know, and here in New Jersey. She disappeared on October 25th, 1969. Her body was never discovered, but Sarinsky was uh, subsequently convicted in 1975 of her murder. Um, first person, Leo. First, 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 person, first, first person in New Jersey ever convicted for murder without a body. That's correct. You know, so he did make history. This was another reason why I don't know why we don't know more about this guy. Then again, maybe he doesn't deserve to be, you know, glamorized because this guy is just beyond and he's nice to creep. He is this. Uh, we're going to get into this case because there's so many twists and turns and how this guy got got over and in and around the law is absolutely incredible. And I would not think it could be true unless you know the history of his family and his family background. Because he came, you know, this family put the fun in dysfunctional, John. To tell you the truth, they, this guy had such power over his family and how they enabled him and, and covered up for his crimes over the years and glorified him. And made him the, the psychopathic killer that he was is just absolutely sickening. Yeah, so, evil personified here. Just, yeah, absolutely. And the family had to do something with that. So let me start this. This, this story really starts in 1958. Okay. Um, Zarinsky at that time was 18 years old. And, you know, him and his cousin were out. Um, his cousin's name was uh, Jesse, uh, uh, sorry, Teddy Schiffer. Remember that name, Teddy Schiffer, because uh, later in, in this story, he'll come back into the picture. But uh, him and Teddy Schiffer, his cousin, were out and about, out to go, um, you know, burglarizing stores in Rawway, New Jersey. Now, Rawway's right next door to Linden um, on the map. And this was a pouring rain night. It was a horrible, miserable night in, in, in this area of Jersey. And it was the weekend, the Saturday after Thanksgiving in 1958. They broke into what was then, it was a Miller... Pontiac, John, or Miller Cadillac car dealership? Yeah, 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 it was a Miller Cadillac, and, uh, you know, they broke in there, and uh, that's when they ran into the cop. All right, so here's this poor cop doing his rounds. He's a four-year veteran. His name is Charles Bernoski. 
He was a four-year veteran, just on the force, had a wonderful wife. All they wanted to do was have a big family. This guy worked around the clock. When he was, wasn't a cop, he was delivering milk. When he wasn't delivering milk, he was fixing watches. This was just your all-around good guy. And it, he was out. It was his turn with his partner to walk the beat in the miserable rain. So he's in, you know, checking around, and he goes into this uh, car dealership. And uh, Charles Bronson, he had three, I want to mention two, he had four kids already, and his wife was pregnant at the time. So this guy runs into these two hoods, Zerinsky and Schiffer, and he gets shot twice in the neck and once in the face. The man, the, the police officer died. Okay, That crime went unsolved for years. years decades, and, decades. Decades. Yeah. He's a hero in the Railway Police Department. There's a plaque on the wall for him. There's a statue in the site where he was killed. This was a real atrocity at the time. And um, what happened then, these two, the hood, the hoodlums, ran back to Linden full of blood because they were shot too. You know, Borowski got shots into both of them before he was killed. So, he, you know, he did his job. But they lived, and they went back to the house, and Zerinsky's mother and sister were there. And they cleaned these kids up. You know, they got the bullets. She cleaned them up, got the bullets out of them, kept it quiet. You know, you can't go to the hospital. Once they find out a cop was shot and here two guys show up with bullet holes in them, you know, God forbid we let Rob Bobby here get in trouble. So that's where it all began. Okay, and there was the, the cover-up. Had they been caught from this crime, John, this whole history of his would have never happened. Yeah, if they got him then, boy, they would have been able to really put him on ice. Unfortunately, they didn't. In fact, they... The mother sent these two kids off to the Poconos to hide out for an extended period of time while their uh, wounds healed, too. Well, that well, was thoughtful of her. You see, this is gives <laughs> you more, more of an idea of, of this mother. You know, nothing. You hear, these two, her son just killed a cop, and she's covering yeah. it up. Yeah, the sister said he admitted it to it. He said he said the cop pissed him off because he shot his cousin, so he killed the cop. That's right. That's right. So, you know, that's what the sister says. Yeah. Now this, he's 18 years old at the time. So, you know, what kind of, what is this going to grow into? Well, you know what he's going to grow into, John. So, but that, you know, his MO wasn't killing cops. This guy had a fetish for young girls. The younger, the better. The, the second case that we know of, um, he picked up three girls in Linden, a 14 year old by the name of uh, Sharon Kennedy. And two of her friends, they had been uh, swimming at the local pool in Linden, um, and they, the guy asked them if they wanted to ride home. Now, they knew the guy. Linden was a small town at the time. People knew each other. They didn't really know him personally, but they'd seen him at the pool. They knew his face, and the, the, from what the reports say, it was a real, the, the ground was steaming hot, and, you know, the girls foolishly accepted a ride, but I guess, you know, reluctantly, they didn't know. So they get in the car. He drops off the first two girls. So I guess the, you know, Sharon, Sharon here is thinking, well, that's fine. But then, and when he gets to her street, what does he do? He doesn't turn right on her street. He turns toward Route 9 and heads south down to the Atlantic Highlands. Yeah, there he goes. That's his uh, grounds, John. And you probably, you know more about serial killers than I do. He, he would use the Atlantic Highlands as a stalking ground. But here he took this girl. And he took her down to the Atlantic Highlands, and now she's in a panic. She noticed there's no way out of this car. The handles are off the door. Yeah, this guy drove around without handles from the, for the inside of the door. So you could get in, but you couldn't get out. And he took them off the windows, too, so you couldn't get out the window. 
He did, he took him off the windows and he he goes he's just driving and driving and driving. He probably pulls into this like wooded area or somewhere down God knows where. This girl's probably scared to death. She said he put Vaseline all over the windshield and so the mosquitoes would stick to it. He had a convertible. But and he 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 starts beating her and beating her and beating her. He used her bra to tie her hands up. Um you know, and he, he bit her neck, he bit her breasts, and he bit her toes. There's no uh, rec- recorded uh, thing of uh, sexual assault here, but we don't know. This girl got away with it, though. She 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 got out of it. He drove her back home, which is very interesting. Yeah, she lived, but she didn't press charges. She was too scared, I think. That's right, too scared. And she, she said she lived the rest of her life saying, thinking he was going to come back to get her. So I'm just one. You wonder though if this if this was the first time he attacked someone. Why why didn't he kill her then, or was he just you know what is this what a killer would do, John? Somebody a serial killer in the making test the water a little bit. Well, this is what they do. What they do is uh, you know they focus on you know usually in the beginning an assault and a rape, and at that point in time that's when they escalate after that. Many, many, and, and we've talked about it on the show a number of times, many serial killers are serial rapists before they become serial killers. This guy was not a serial rapist. This guy was just starting to evolve. So he started off with an assault and a rape. We don't know how many other girls he assaulted and raped that didn't come forward to that were scared to death. But right. then he evolved into a serial rapist and murderer. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. he just focused on... You know the complete control and sexual domination of uh, of a young girl, and um, truly is the Jersey Devil. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So, and then the next re- the recorded um, story we have is of a Jane Dura. Jane was thirteen years old, and um, she had uh, this, this. This poor girl had a horrible history. She was an orphan, and um, you know she was living with her sister down in uh, in Keensburg area and she was found completely contorted her legs were twisted her head was twisted um she was purplish red and battered her face was battered and black and blue bloodless lips she was this is how she was found and shockingly vivid you know and then the uh, some the police arrived at the scene and um you know they I think she was sexually assaulted but this girl was found and nobody knew who did it and this this case went unsolved for years. I think it's still laying unsolved in the Zerinsky. These were her his grounds, though, and I do believe some people put his car in the pictures. People started seeing him and and recognizing the car. Okay, that's what was going on. Um, you know, that's how the suspicions started to grow with this guy. But yeah, yeah was, see, they what they do. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, go right ahead, John. See what they like to do. They pick out an area. And they have a preferred area to troll. And this was his trolling area in those years. The Highlands, southern Moore Jersey, kind of the shore area. But the one thing about serial killers, and as you brought out in the beginning, this guy was from Linden up in that area. And it's a bit of a drive to get down to the shore areas. But what serial killers do is they put a lot of miles on their car. If a, When a serial killer gets caught, uh, lots of times the public doesn't know this, but the first thing the cops look to see is how many miles 
this, this serial killer put on the put on his car because you will have a huge amount of miles versus an everyday driver. Okay, and the reason mm-hmm. for that is because they have to continually drive to troll and hunt to identify and stalk their victim of choice. Not easy finding a victim around every corner. You've got to put some time into it, and especially with this guy, Leo. You know, what's very interesting about him, this guy didn't focus on prostitutes, where he could, which were closer to his house, actually. He could have shown him a $20 bill and got them in the car up in Newark yeah. or whatever, Elizabeth. But this guy wanted the girl next door. He wanted to demean and kill the girl next door. I'm sorry I took you off that. No, you didn't, but and that's a very good point. You're right. He didn't choose the prostitutes, which we see very common. You know, they're easy prey. He wanted these young girls. One of my thinking is, you know, this guy's a pedophile as well as a serial killer. Yeah. Right? I mean, he had yeah. to be, you know. But in this girl with the, with the Dura case, um, the, like I said, she was an orphan. She was living with her sister and her, her sister's husband. So I guess that were his brother-in-law. You know, there was no suspects in this. This made this made headline news down in the Keensburg and Bayshore area of Jersey. Uh, her husband, um, I think his name was Ronald Connors. You know, he he found the body as they were out looking for her, and that was her brother-in-law. So her, him, and um, uh, somebody else, a friend of his, I think they were they were the first suspects in this case, and they both were questioned for hours by the police. They took polygraphs and they passed. And so they were, they, they were, they were, uh, ruled out as, um, as victims here of, of, uh, perpetrators here. But, um, people did hear, hear screams. A boys in the neighborhood heard screams from a girl that night saying, he's killing me. He's killing me. So, um, you know, then there was phone calls for people were calling the house saying, I know who the killer is. And this, this poor family who lost this girl were being harassed, but nothing came of it. In other words, the police investigated all all these uh, these leads, but nothing, nothing helped bring her any justice. So, again, you know, and, go ahead. And Keensburg, Keensburg at the time and even today, very tough area. But even back then, very tough area. So it doesn't surprise me that people heard screams and didn't do anything about it. Um, you know, and also it doesn't surprise me that uh, people were calling up this family and, you know, kind of really uh, torturing them with, uh, you know, these horrendous kinds of phone calls and stuff. Kingsburg, you know, it was called the Berg. And it's, yeah. called, the Berg. it's called the Berg for a reason. Because there's quite a few murderers and bank robbers, and you know that have uh, that have come out of that area. I mean, it's a it's a very very tough area. So it doesn't surprise me. The sad part of this is that this went on for years and years and years, and this girl was totally twisted, as you said, contorted, destroyed, and this guy, along with being everything else, was extremely strong. Was a weightlifter. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. This, this guy was an animal. I, I'm, go ahead, Lee. No, yeah, he was, and he he would uh, his family, John. He was also married, and I wanted to get. We were going to get to that, but let me talk about this now. He had a wife this whole time. His wife now he met while trolling, you know, down in the Bayshore area. She was, uh, <laughs> yeah. What happened was she got in the car. Um, 
I think it was he, he she probably got away and became his wife because as the story went she wouldn't go with him the first time and then she brought a friend with her and they said let's go to uh, he brought her and his and the friend to uh to party together and drink that was his other uh, lure to get girls with him do you like to drink and smoke cigarettes so he would bring them in, get them, you know, give them some drink and, and, and cigarettes. But she later admitted years later, because she was in the, in on this, the, uh, enabling protection family too. They completely ruled her life. She lived with them. They all lived together in the same house, the wife and him. Um, and that's how they met. But she, he somehow, she somehow find, uh, has good graces and he married her. You know, and uh, he became quite her slave. But this is where he went. This is where he trolled. You know, it wasn't until, I don't know if you know, if you're familiar with Sergeant Sam Guzzi. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. It wasn't until he got involved after a Rosemary Calandro, age 17, from the Atlantic Highlands, so when, when it was sent out to get some milk, which should have taken her 10 minutes from her house to get the milk and be home. She took the $2 from her mom, went to get milk. She was barefoot with shorts on and a, and a shirt. This girl was very protected by the, her parents. It was never really allowed out. Very, very strict parents. So, you know, when they, she said 10 minutes, that meant eight minutes where she should have been back. But, you know, little Rosemary never returned. Okay. And we wonder where she went. Okay. So she disappeared and there was a huge panic here. But what happened was this is where things started to, to get a little shaky for for um, Zarinsky because uh, boy he had witnesses now the uh, four boys witnessed him in the car with with Rosemary in the car there a composite sketch was made and um, you know she never returned home unfortunately I don't think they found her but the boys that no were, they did they, they never found her right no okay. Uh, the boys followed him around. They spotted the, the car, you know, and they they uh, they said there was an old man driving, which was very strange for Rosemary because she was brought up so strictly. Okay, and uh, they saw they uh, reported this to the police. They got a composite sketch of this guy. So we had a, a similar. They all reported the same looking man. So there was consistency in their report. And then the sergeant Sam Guzzi stepped in. Bless him, bless him. Yeah, yeah bless, really bless him. This man stayed with this case for a long time. And um, I think we're going to take a break at about that time, and we're going to get back, and we'll talk a little bit more about Sam Guzzi's findings. So stick around. Oh, man. What a guy, interesting guy. By the year 2020, depression will be the world's second highest diagnosed medical condition in the world following heart disease. Millions of people are suffering with depression and sadness. People ask, is depression treatable? What's causing this epidemic and what can we do about it? Psychotherapist Leo J. Battenhausen's book, Defeating Depression, The Calm and Sense Way to Find Happiness and Satisfaction, has helped thousands of people reclaim their lives. He's a licensed clinical social worker and clinical alcohol and drug counsellor. Leo J. Badenhausen shows people how to identify, address and overcome common misconceptions about life that cause many to live in misery. 
The book that has a five-star rating on Amazon.com is filled with priceless information to quickly bring the reader into a brighter frame of mind and assist in enjoying life to its fullest. Defeating Depression, The Common Sense Way to Find Happiness and Satisfaction by Leo J. Battenhausen. Available at select bookstores, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. It will change your life. We are raising a generation of techno-savvy and social media-obsessed kids. There's a lack of real human connection and concern for our fellow man. Social Side, How America is Loving Itself to Death by licensed clinical social worker Leo J. Battenhausen explores the new generation of young people and how they are turning into godless people with narcissistic and psychopathic tendencies. Americans have become so obsessed with themselves that their country's once great bedrock of dignity and respect is crumbling from underneath us right before our eyes. Isn't it time that we regained our confidence in spirituality and the existence of a higher power? This and so much more is explored in the book Social Side, How America is Loving Itself to Death by licensed clinical social worker Leo J. Battenhausen. Social Side is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, FaithBooksAndMore.com, and SocialSideInfo.com. Social Side, How America is Loving Itself to Death by Leo J. Battenhausen. Bringing you the truth behind crimes today. You're listening to Crime and Reason on TalkZone.com. Back to John Kelly and Leo Battenhausen. All right, everybody, we're back. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, back and talking about the Jersey Devil, Leo. Go ahead. The Jersey Devil, Robert Zorinsky. We were talking about uh, Sam Guzzi and the uh, Rosemary Calandro case, 17 years old, disappeared from her home, good strict girl, never smoked cigarettes, never stayed past her curfew, goes to get some milk with $2 in her pocket and bare feet. Police tried to say she ran away. This is what girls do. Why do cops do this all the time, John? This is one thing that really frustrates the hell out of me. Yeah, yeah. See, usually when you go to a police department, on a runaway, somebody that's disappeared. You know, the cops want to wait a certain amount of time before they really get into filing a missing persons complaint, before you get into filing a missing persons complaint, because it's added work for them. And lots of times they think the girl or guy or young boy just ran away and eventually he'll turn up or you'll hear from him. The sad part about it is, in some of these cases, they're never heard from again or never seen again, and that's what happened, uh, you know, in this case here. She was never, ever seen again. And, uh, you know, the cops are usually loaded with work and have a lot of work on their desks, and I'm not trying to alibi them, but they don't want to, you know, investigate a crime where a crime uh, has not been committed and, and pretty much it sucks. Uh, a lot of the time I've seen it, you know, more than I need to. But unfortunately, you know, we've seen it with John Walsh's son. We've seen it all over. I mean, it just, you know, it's just a sad situation. It, it is. But you see this on all the shows, really. On, yeah. You know, every kid kid that disappears, the parents always say, this is not my child, they would never do that. But you always hear that the police say, well, this is very typical, but that's something that really frustrates people, I'm sure, to see that. But with this case, um, uh, um, the the headlines were out on on, on, uh, 
Rosemary Colangio too. And um, Pilot Police uh, said she had been missing, and it was uh, somebody last seen in a white convertible driven by a man at at, at night. Okay, you know, two days before the disappearance, and at the same time of day, um, a, a Barbara Hardy of Leonardo, which is close to Keensburg, she re- she uh, her heart fell. She her twelve year old daughter Linda and a friend were were walking around in, in Leonardo, um, about the same on um, Century Avenue, and can they continued through the neighborhood in the Atlanta Commons when this, a stranger in a white Ford with a black rag top pulled up alongside them. And again, the driver smiled, then drove on. Okay, he came back and said to them, "You know, would you like a ride or would you rather walk?" And they they said, "We'd rather walk." Um, and then he uh, he pulled up again for the third time, and he's like, "Are you you know pushing them? Are you sure you don't want to ride?" And so I guess this is how he was operating, and they they refused the ride. And he said to them, "What bad girls you are for not accepting my ride?" And he laughed, but they got a good look at him. Okay, so this uh, Barbara Hardy remembers this story, you know, and it's, her heart sank. So she reported this to the police as well. So this is where, like, the reporting who who this guy, this mysterious man was, he started to take a shape and a form. Okay, and the boys and the girls memorized the license plate. Oh, beautiful. Now, that was the big key in this case because the plate was memorized and who did it, it was registered to Zerinsky's father in Linden, Julius Zerinsky. Right. Okay. So he goes to the house, uh, Sergeant Guzzi, and of course, mom says, well, Robert's not here. So he said, well, I have a warrant for his arrest. He had their suspicion of, uh, they wanted to talk to him about the, about the girl that was missing. And for, uh, you know, harassing the, uh, the other girls who didn't get in the car. So he waited at that house for hours, John, until they came home. And, uh, he essentially at that point arrested Zerinsky. Yeah. Right. Thank God he was a man on a mission because he would not let this case go. And you got to understand back in the day, I, I, our listeners, I, I would like to understand that back in the day, the Highlands Police Department, was a very, very small force. I mean, it's a very small population in those years in New Jersey. And this guy was, you know, a detective, a sergeant mm-hmm. on the Highlands Police Department. And this guy, you know, wouldn't let this case go. He wouldn't stop. He was a man on a mission. And and just just, you know, kudos to him because... If he didn't put this kind of perseverance into it, I mean, this Zerinsky would have never been arrested. And that's exactly right. You know, he would not give up, even with this family. But the arrest warrant read, and he showed it to Zerinsky's mother, on the 25th day of August 1969 in the borough of Atlantic Highlands, Robert Zerinsky did contribute to the delinquency of a one minor, Rosemary Calandrelliello, Mm-hmm. He he took her out of town without the consent of her parents and failed to return her home. The mother's like, that's impossible. He was home with his wife all night on Monday. <laughs> yeah, he was upstairs with his wife, Lynn, all night. You know, ask her yourself. You know, she'll tell you. And, of course, no one defied Bobby in that house. Mm-hmm. Nobody had- defied Bobby, and the mother extorted his wife as well. That that wife was like a ping pong ball or like a pinball in a pinball machine between Bobby and his mommy. It's right. The sickening relationship that they had 
is so typical of a narcissist and and what what becomes of the glorified child and this again we're, I, you know, that brings me back to the Scott Peterson case how his mother you know this so the day he's in court and convicted she was insisted he was innocent and that's another thing you see in a lot of these cases whenever they talk to the mother of the killer they are so uh, uh, on the, the the killer's side and insisting that they would never do this kind of thing since so you know it's a sickening trend Enabling murder. They're enablers. They're enabling murder. They're not ad- enabling addiction. Well, yeah, an addiction to murder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the, the, his wife, she knew that her survival in that house, you know, depended on her allegiance and devotion to uh, to the secrets being kept of Bobby. Okay, and at one time, the guy, they had a kid together. They had a child, and the, she said that it was the one time he seemed to show some kind of affection and love. Uh, subsequently, the child had a very high fever at some point, 105 fever, and he, he didn't make it. I think he was four, he, four months old or six months old, but that's just a side note there. But, yeah, so whatever that means, uh, to think that this man had a child is very sickening and scary, too. Do you know what it means to me, Leo? Tell me when it, when when one of these guys and I've talked about this a little bit before, but not on the show. When I've seen these guys focus on their children, to me, it's narcissism by proxy. In other words, it may seem like they adore the child or they love the child, but what they're really doing is adoring themselves. Their genes, their cells, they see themselves in ah. the child. How about that, Leo? That Narcissism makes, by proxy. I love it. I think we got onto something there, John. That's a very, very interesting theory. And I think you're right. It is a self-glorification. And, and I guess they, a lot of narcissists use their children right, to simply glorify themselves. They become um, objects of, 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 of themselves, extensions of themselves. Right? Is that what you're kind of saying? Exactly. Here? Exactly is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. But see, now in the house, when you know, when when Bobby here was not uh, the father lived there. If he wasn't tormenting his father, he was berating his 21 year old wife all the time. You know, she could see an outburst of coming a mile away. She had said, you know, one minute he was Mister Nice Guy, the next minute, you know, his lips would quiver and a, and um, you know, he'd be he'd be clenching his fists and. And tormenting uh, her and, and beating her. He had a history of beating her all the time. This all went on um, silently in that house in Linden. Only his mother was immune from the attacks, John. How about that? Yep, she's the only one that was immune from the attacks. You know, this guy, when he graduated from high school, I'm surprised he graduated. When he graduated from high school, this guy turned around, took over the father's business. The father's in the produce business. He yes. this guy somehow took it over. I mean, you know, strong-armed it from the father and gave the father like a $5 a week salary. I didn't know that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this guy's well, I mean, he ran roughshod over everybody. I mean, we'll get into, I don't know when we'll get into his, his earlier years, but I got to tell you what, maybe that's for another show, but or next week's show or something, we'll see where we're going here. But I mean, this, 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 I mean, this, this, this guy truly, truly, truly underline it. 
is the Jersey Devil, Leo Guy. He is, and there's no other way to put it. The smallest things would set this guy off, John. I mean, in, in his rages, one time he crushed all the all of the costume jewelry in his wife's closet. And another time he smashed a tomato in her face. Like these are the kind of things this woman lived with. This is a monster, a true monster. You don't know what was going to set him off. You know, and then unspeakable. She talked about unspeakable sexual indignities, secrets she would never tell anyone. You know, and she was she was not in, she had, didn't get a driver's license till long after he was incarcerated because they wanted to keep her in the house away from um you know other people, and that's another narcissistic tendency. They don't want anybody, their spouses especially, to have connections with any friends or family unless it benefits them. So that you know, to be, to her best interest is to stay locked in that house and do as she was told. You know, while he's out parading around the Highlands looking for little girls to rape and kill. And don't think yeah, she, she knew all about this stuff too. We'll talk about that later as well. Yeah, they feel threatened. You know, mm-hmm. uh, their 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 egomaniacs with inferiority complexes. And they feel really threatened. So what they try to do is isolate their girlfriend or wife from the rest of the world. And, uh, you know, this gives them, you know, again, this power and control. It just keeps feeding their power and control. They can't get enough of it. It's an insidious addiction. It's fascinating, but also very, you know, disturbing to hear this, Mm. you know. You know, what create? this is not a human being we're talking about. It's just not, you know, and he would, there's even like the things he did to his wife. He would tell her, don't you tell my mother I did this because she'll throw you out. So That's I don't right. know, you know, yeah, that she That's would. True. I mean, if you say anything wrong here, uh-uh. You know, don't say anything boy. about my Bobby. Don't you dare. You know, no, no, no. But in the, the, the mother, I think, was 48, you know, and uh, obviously lived for the guy. And um, you couldn't say anything against him in her, in, in, within her presence. In high school, a girl broke up with him, John. This is interesting. And the mother went to the parents' house in tears, begging them to to make their daughter reconsider the breakup with Bobby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can oh, you yeah. imagine this? Yeah. Can you imagine yeah, a high school, imagine yeah. a high school student, male, your mother shows up at the girl who broke up with his house and begs you to go back out with my son? Well, let me tell you something. I, I It's hard to even imagine, but I'll tell you what. That girl's very lucky. That's all that happened. Well, you're right about that. Mm-hmm. She's dealing with the family from hell here. Actually, you're not right. I mean, this this could have been a reality show, a real reality show in its day. You know. Oh man, yeah, your stomach churns or something. Yeah, right. Horrible, man. I mean, I I mean, it, this and it's like this guy. One of his weapons of choice to degrade people, as you brought out earlier, was a tomato. Because the family was in the produce business, he smashed his wife in the face with tomatoes. But you know what, Leo? He used to smash his father all the time in the face with tomatoes. And give him Did a- he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, this, this guy didn't discriminate. But I'm, I mean, the point I'm trying to make is this guy, anything at all to, to use to degrade somebody, uh, you know, he would do it and, and, and to, uh, to shame somebody. I mean, he, he's, he's just, he had no, there, he had no conscience at all. I mean, this this man was just a shell of a whatever. I mean, I would call him an it. I don't even think he, he deserved to be called a man. I mean, because we're not even we're not even into what you know the, a lot of the other stuff that this guy did. 
No, and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of it we'll never know about, but we'll get to some right. of it. He had um, just you know a little bit of piece on more of his background. You know, someone had once told um, told the mother that that Bobby had had been bragging about setting neighborhood animals on fire. You know, and she walked off in a huff. Now this was an adult telling her this. She probably knew. And then here we go again with the you know serial killers that that torment animals, you know, and then kill animals and uh, just horrible things like that. That's where it must all start, you know. But no matter what she did, whatever no whatever he did, the mother always blamed somebody else, and that's that's a typical narcissist too. They always blame somebody else. It's always somebody else's problem, never theirs. Like you said, no conscience, no remorse, no guilt, nothing. So it's to call him a shell of a man is putting it, is giving him a compliment. He doesn't even deserve to be called a shell of a man. Um, yeah, and yeah, and and you know the one thing we know about these uh, narcissistic uh, psychopaths is they cannot be wrong. Never, <laughs> they're never wrong. It's everybody no. else, and everybody else's fault. Talking about the animal abuse, his sister, when she was interviewed by police, said. That she remembered him grabbing a bird and pulling off the head and wings and laughing as he was doing it right in front of her. I mean, this guy was really, really. You know, you gotta wonder, right? Where does uh, this is right. spawn of Satan, John? I mean, yeah, honestly, I, I, I mean, this guy, this guy was horrendous. Yeah, so horrendous indeed. So this is more of what's going on, you know, in the house. Um, and one, and one time, though, his wife complained to the the mother, you know. She, she took a step, and she, uh, the the mother warned Lynn that every family has secrets, and those secrets were sacred. So, <laughs> you know, and eventually, you know, Robert, Robert had used to choke the wife to the point where she nearly lost consciousness. We know that killers love to do that. Do it all the time. Do it all the time. This is to his yeah. wife. You know, she, so she stopped even trying, you know, to defend herself. You know, and then one time... um she had not, you know, she didn't bring a soda in fast enough, so he pushed her to the floor and wrapped his hands around her neck and squeezed until she she felt her eyes bulging out of her head. I mean, come on. And you wonder, you know, you wonder how these women put up with this, but it's not really that unusual, John, is it, that the victims of these people are captive and they truly become brainwashed, you know. She's yelling, I'm sorry. After uh, not getting the soda in, and he, he squeezes her almost to to the point of asphyxiation. And yeah, it's like it. this. Yeah, go, yeah, he, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just to say, you know, she's screaming, "I'm sorry," and he says, "Next time it'll be worse." <laughs> so that's all he cares about. I mean, he cares about his soda. He don't care about her, right? You know, the soda is more important than her. I mean, she's he's objectified her a long time ago. But it's kind of like a the Stockholm syndrome in a way. I mean. uh you know, these guys take hostages, they don't have relationships, and, you know, the bottom line is they just turn around and uh, they traumatize the person to the point where the person is so afraid, so extremely terrified, that they're scared if they leave, they're dead. If they tell anybody, they're dead. So they, exactly. you know, they just become slaves and hostages in their own homes with these guys. Indeed, they do. And this woman had it bad from the beginning. You know, she came from a horrible family. Um, you know, I think her when she met the Zerinskys, they she thought they were like the real Ozzy and Harriet. You know, they they put on <laughs> such a show for her. You know, I think she lost both of her parents when she was very young. She was um, she had to work all kinds of jobs to take care of um, her siblings. So she thought she found um, you know heaven here. 
And I guess that was, you know, that's how they do it. And the narcissists and I guess narcissistic families paint this wonderful picture of themselves where you just feel like you hit the jackpot and boom, you know, eventually the truth comes out, you know? So, um, eventually she was, you know, she was smitten with the whole package. She, she couldn't imagine herself finally having a, a good life, you know, and then less than a year she was pregnant with this kid. Yeah, he snared her. They, the whole family, it was a trap to snare her. And we've seen that all the time. You've talked about it. I think it's even in your book. I'm, I'm sure parts of it are in your book that, you know, I mean, you don't see the true person, you know, the true monster. You're seeing the face, the mask. I'm sorry, the mask of sanity until this person gets you into their control zone and gets you where they want to get you. Like last week, I think it was last week or the week before, we were talking about, you know, this guy played was one, had one personality until the day he married this girl. As soon as he married her, he had a completely different personality. Yeah, right. It's it just typical, typical, typical behavior. So what we're trying to do here, uh, listeners, is, you know, paint the picture. This is a very involved story. We're probably going to go um, in, into a, another segment on this. But we want to give you a, a clear picture of the background. This guy is well, this Jersey Devil. And we're going to take a short break now. We'll come back with a little more family history, and we'll see where we're at by then. So more murders. More murders, yeah. Extra Health Care Services was founded in 1991 by Executive Director John Kelly. Our outpatient drug and alcohol counseling centers provide an individualized approach to treatment with a strong emphasis on building self-esteem in our clients and helping empower them to take effective control of their lives. Our program has had an extremely high success rate because our board-certified and licensed counselors and psychologists design a program just for you or your family member to help deal with alcohol and drug abuse. We specialize in addictive illness in both adults and adolescents. Our entire team is committed to helping you or a family member become healthy. Our alcohol and drug abuse counseling centers are located in Middlesex, Monmouth, and Union Counties with both day and evening appointments available. Call 732-721-3835 or email us at info at extracarehealth.com. That's 732-721-3835 or info at extracarehealth.com. By the year 2020, depression will be the world's second highest diagnosed medical condition in the world following heart disease. Millions of people are suffering with depression and sadness. People ask, is depression treatable? What's causing this epidemic and what can we do about it? Psychotherapist Leo J. Battenhausen's book, Defeating Depression, The Calm and Sense Way to Find Happiness and Satisfaction, has helped thousands of people reclaim their lives. He's a licensed clinical social worker and clinical alcohol and drug counsellor. Leo J. Battenhausen shows people how to identify, address and overcome common misconceptions about life that cause many to live in misery. The book that has a five-star rating on Amazon.com is filled with priceless information to quickly bring the reader into a brighter frame of mind and assist in enjoying life to its fullest. Defeating Depression, the common sense way to find happiness and satisfaction by Leo J. Battenhausen. Available at select bookstores, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. It will change your life. Welcome back to Crime and Reason on TalkZone.com. Here are your hosts, John Kelly and Leo Battenhausen. Yeah, you know, Leo, you were talking about, uh, you know, the Jane Durr case being 13 years old. And then you talked about uh, the Colin Durillo case in 1969. 
Well, I got to tell you, this guy also trolled. They believe they don't have proof yet, but they're they're getting close to it. They're still investigating this guy, even though he's dead. They're mm-hmm. still they still want to solve these cold cases. You know, every every um, prosecutor's office pretty much throughout the country now has a cold case unit. So even though he's dead and these people never been found, you know, uh, they're still. The cops are still investigating. But this is a Linda, you know, Balbano, who, uh, you know, disappeared from Roselle. Okay, up here in the woods, Roselle, New Jersey. And she was found floating in the Raritan River. And they really like him for that because she was seen getting into a car like his. And there was a description uh, that fit him that was put out. Yeah. Ah, really? Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, what happens is this guy, you know, uh, his case is getting closer. His case is getting closer down in Monmouth County because of him, uh, you know, absconding and killing Colandrilla uh, yeah. in 1969. But now we're we fast forwarded now. To 1975, okay? It took them to 1975 to bring him to trial, okay? Mm -hmm. And what's very interesting to me, what's very interesting to me, in 1974, right before, six months before his trial, and, and he ended up pleading out. But right before his trial, you had two girls, Doreen Colucci, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. So she fits with the age. And Joanne Delardo, 15 years old, from Colonia. So you can see what's happened since the heat has come on down around the shore areas in southern Jersey, heading south on the Parkway, mm-hmm. you know, down around the Highlands and yeah. Keensburg, down through there. This guy's decided to troll a little north. Yeah, so demographics. Demographics. So he's changed his trolling area because he knows they're onto him down there. And they're on the lookout probably for him. They see him going by, they're going to pull him over. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, sure. So now you've got this. You've got these three girls that disappear. Okay. You've mm-hmm. got this Bolin Banow. Bolin Banow. I hope I'm saying your name correctly. God bless her. And then you've got you know this 14 year old and 15 year old Doreen Colucci and Joanna Delardo and Jane Dora. Just, don't forget her. Jane well, Dora. don't forget, Dora is 13 years old, but see, she's mm-hmm. down south. She's in Kingsburg. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. These two girls are walking home from church up around up around Colonia, okay? Yeah. And the next thing you know, they're found. Now, what do you hear where they're found? They're found in Monmouth County. Now, remember, Monmouth County is the county that's prosecuting him. Right, that's okay. down South Jersey, listeners, down back in the Bay Shore area. Yeah, they're the ones that have picked that picked up the case from 1969, even though it's taken to 1975, 
and they're prosecuting him on Colin Drillo. Now, knowing these guys and knowing uh, this narcissistic rage that's going on inside him, he is so angry at Monmouth County. How dare they do this to me? How dare ah. they charge me? How dare they bring me to court? Well, I'm going to show them and I'm going to, I'm going to do something. He takes, they, they believe it's him. They can't prove it yet. These two girls that are abducted up in Colonia, their bodies are found in Monmouth County in Manalapan in like a swamp type area down there. So what he did is six months before his trial, and they truly believe he did this. We can't definitely say he did, but it's very odd. He, he pretty much straightened them out. He gave them two bodies to show them how much they were scaring him. You know, and all that was for, was, was for him to give them a slap in the face. This is what you get for trying to prosecute me. Now, these girls, if you look at the ages, 14, 15, you yep. know, you look yep. at Dora at 13. All these girls fit. Now, you also have to look at the M.O. This guy loved to beat women and strangle them to death in, in a garage-style murder. And garage-style is like taking a wire and uh, just... You know, putting it around a woman's neck, maybe there was, maybe he had wood attached to it and just strangling the life out of them. But the MO was the same on every one of these girls. Okay. And the victimology is the same. They're all around the same age. And, um, you know, he trolled for them. He picked them up in Colonia, but he hauls them all the way down to Manalapan in Monmouth County where he's being tried. Right, right, right. To to either murder them and dump them, or just to dump them. But the, but that's the kind of brass tax that this guy got. In and, other words, f you. Yeah, here I'll give you something for for indicting me. How about this? Here's a couple for you. Now you know what's what really uh, amazes me. It amazes me whenever I see a serial killer grab two girls at the same time. See, it's one thing to grab one person, yeah. one woman, one girl, and bring her into your control zone and have control over her to do what you need to do. But when you're trying to take on two or more at the same time, I mean, you have to be sophisticated. And obviously, he was set up for this type of... Uh, with this type of sophistication. Well, what do you mean? The, can, what do you mean sophistication, John? Can you explain that, please? Sure. He had to be able. He knows he's picking up two girls. Okay. So now he's got two girls in the car. So now when he goes and grabs one of those girls and starts to attack her in the car, what is the other girl going to do? Okay. Right. She's either going to freeze and do nothing. She's either going to try to get out of the car and run, but we know that he's got the, you know, windows jimmied, he's got the locks jimmied, so they're not going to get out, she's not going to get out of the car. But what's to stop her from attacking him while he's attacking the other girl? What's to stop her from screaming? My guess is 
that this guy probably, when he had both of them in the car, had some kind of weapon and used the weapon to tell them, look at, I'm just going to tie you up right now. I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm not, they always say this. I'm not going to harm you. You just mm-hmm. do what I tell you to do. You do what I tell what I say to do and you'll, you'll be okay. I just want a little sex. I want to have a little fun and then I'll take you home. Everything will be okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So once he gets them both restrained somehow in that car, then he can take one out of the car, do what he wants. He can do something to her in the car, do what he wants. The other one is just in complete terror watching this take wow. place, whether it's outside the car or inside the car. Mm-hmm. And, he, and she's thinking to herself, I'm next. My turn's coming up. Mm-hmm. You know? But he had to be sophisticated. And, and what I mean, um, you know, generally by that for the audience is that he had to have a way, a knowledgeable way of controlling both victims at the same time to do what he wanted to do. That, like, that's even more scary than you know, being with one person. This guy was really had his, his act together when it came to murder, I suppose, right? I mean, he only on. got better. He only got better. And that's what they do. You know, that's what mm-hmm. they do. You know, they perfect their craft. That's what they do. They mm-hmm. get better every time out. You know, they learn from their mistakes, you know, and yeah. they just get better every time out. And if you look at this guy's evolution, he consistently got better at stalking, at controlling his victims, at killing them, and dumping them. Uh-huh. So anybody crazy to God, they got this guy. Because, you know, even even uh, I happen to know somebody who had a conversation with this guy, believe it or not. I, I believe can't it. their name. I can't mention mm-hmm. their name. Uh, somebody to do with law enforcement in Jersey. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they said to him, listen, how about Calandra? You admitted to killing her, but you never told us where the body is. Why don't you tell us where the body is? He said, what's in it for me? <laughs> was he locked up at the time, John? Yeah. He was. Yeah. And he wouldn't give that he up. He had done What's a lot there? of time. He had done a lot of time at this point. So this person tried to get him to fess up because this person wanted the bodies or the remains of the bodies to come home to the loved ones. So he said to him, why don't you just tell us where the bodies are? And supposedly Zerminsky said to him, in fact, I know this person would not lie. Zerminsky said to him, What's in it for me? In other words, you know, you're going to give me some time off, or what are you? Yeah, gonna, yeah, of course. You know, right. What are you going to do for me? You want bodies? I tell you where the bodies are, but what are you going to do for me? So yeah. again, it's just by, it's just by the grace of God and luck that this guy ever, uh, ever got convicted and never ended up in prison. And you know, he was coming up on the Dura case. They have him on the Dura case. They have evidence on him on the Dura case. But, um, you know, he died before they could, uh, they could, uh, bring him to, uh, to trial on that case. Very fascinating. Why, what's in it for me? But that, yeah. that's, that speaks volumes of his, that's him. That's his life. What's in it for me? You know, wasn't it after the, um, the, the Balabano girl was found when, uh, that's when Sergeant Guzzi, uh, he caught wind of that the the find somehow, and he started contacting the Woodbridge, New Jersey police. Absolutely, and, uh, a right? great detective. Absolutely, yes, you're right. You're right on, man. On a mission, 
great detective. He got involved when he heard about that case. He put two and two together and he, you know, he contacted Woodbridge and, uh, or Linden and then he moved, uh, you know, right in on it. I mean, yeah, that's it was just. Yeah, at that point, I think is when he, um, when Sergeant Guzzi said, uh, you know, we have Jane Dora now from East yeah. Kingsburg. She'd been sexually assaulted and bludgeoned to death. Yeah. Uh, and four months later, Linda Balabano was abducted near Zerinsky's home. She too yeah. had been be really beaten. Five months after that, Rosemary Calandriello vanished. Um, yeah. several miles from where Jane Dura was. That's when Guzzi said, I think we have a serial killer on our hands, John. Yeah, That's- he was right on. This guy was before his time with detective work. He was he before sure his was. time. This is before profiling really was put together. You know, down at Quantico with the FBI and everything. I mean, this guy was on his game. Right. So this is, I think, where we should kind of wrap up for this week because we're just getting into Now he's been identified or suspected at best of being a serial killer. And the heat's coming down on this guy. And now we got the Woodbridge police involved with uh, the Monmouth County police. So it just gets better from here. And you, the story just gets sicker, folks. So you want to come back and check this out with us next week so we can finish up the story of the real you won't, devil. Yeah, you won't believe this. You won't believe his childhood that catapulted this guy. Just incredible. Very Robert, Robert Zerinsky, folks, the Jersey devil, the real the Jersey real devil. Jersey devil. <laughs> <laughs> we invite you all to check our website out, please, at crimeandreason.com. That's crimeandreason.com. Visit us, send us any comments or questions you might have, any cases you might want us to discuss and dissect. We'll be happy to do that. And um, we hope you all have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, thank you very much. We really appreciate you tuning in.